Beyond Northern Ireland. Hello, welcome to Beyond and I. Today is the second episode of our podcast, and we're going to be tackling Sinn Féin, their manifesto, their voting analysis, their history, and what happens next. Um, as always, it's hosted by me, James Mayne, and my co-founder, Matthew Spires. Very happy to be here, as always. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's your, your catchphrase now for the pod, or just happy to be here. I'm just, I'm just always happy to be here. It's kind of just a resting state for me. Um, that's just my, my general <laughs> vibe, I guess. Yeah. Oh, tremendous, tremendous. So, as I've said, today's podcast, we're focusing on Sinn Féin. Uh, Sinn Féin are the largest nationalist party within the North. Um, they also have a considerable amount of seats in the South. Um, very, very interesting party to see how they've progressed. Um, we'll be mostly looking at their history from 1970. Onwards, we'll do we'll do a brief talk about their about their pre nineteen seventy stuff. But f- since we focus on the north and Northern Ireland, we'll be taking it from nineteen seventy onwards. Uh, today's podcast we're going to start with is how Sinn Féin are when it comes to their manifesto and voting records, and how much of a left wing party they are. I think it's fair to say that Sinn Féin are comfortably left mapped. Wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, easily. Yeah, I, I think they're. They're very committed to that. I don't think it, it's one of those things where I, I know with obviously parties like uh, Labour, maybe in the past years, you've been able to question how left they are, how committed to like a left ideology they are. Sinn Féin or maybe even a slightly older idea of like a left kind of party. They're they're quite easily able to, they're quite comfortably able to call themselves left without, you know, sparking too much uh, outrage amongst even extreme left people in, in, in Northern Ireland, realistically. Yeah, it's... Some of the credits, you know, when we when we put up the site, was saying that you know we didn't take into account for how left wing Sinn Féin are, but the manifesto says what the manifesto says, and I believe they got around fifty percent. Was that right for their manifesto score onto the left? Yes, fifty percent was theirs. Yes, which puts them slightly behind uh, SDLP in the in the general rankings. Which I think a lot of people find really shocking that they were. They were less left on the SDLP, and I think we were fairly surprised when we when we seen that. Um, I think, uh, I, I guess we were surprised, but then also I feel like there was like kind of a general acceptance of the fact that they're in leadership. And it's like, well, well, whenever you're in leadership, there are certain concessions you have to make. Also, they're they're a popular party now. They're they're the most popular, as you said, nationalist party, second most popular popular party in the north. But they've also got ambitions down south now as well. They're 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 paving their way in, in a whole different you know region, especially a region like the south, which isn't anywhere near as accepting of left wing ideals necessarily. And and a electoral yeah, matters, maybe it's just that that kind of contributing to it, I suppose. Yeah, I don't I don't think we'll ever see Sinn Féin become as centre left, or, you know, centre left as let's say Fianna Fáil. But I know some people would even question a Fianna Fáil or a centre left wing party. Yeah. But it's it's interesting to see how when they get into leadership, their their view kind of changes and they become slightly less left. But even if we look at their their voting record, they, what did they come out as? Perhaps it was around again. It was around. It was a bit less. It was around forty percent for when they were voting in the north. It was it was a bit more. It was fifty fifty four percent. So like four oh. percent more than their manifesto got. So I guess you could say it's it's such a small difference. That's a pretty accurate you know representation of what they think. Uh, Maybe slightly more. Uh, I mean, four percent is such a small difference, though, that I don't I don't really feel comfortable saying that there's any actual difference between the manifesto and voting score. If you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but I, I think the the manifesto represents them well in terms of how they actually generally are. And I feel like people people even even like people who support a party can kind of lack nuance in their kind of viewpoint because you either you know take in all your you, you kind of just create your own weak echo chambers. Not only that, you also create your own little vision of the party, the, the vision that you kind of want the party to be. So I feel like whenever people kind of questioned or taken it, then being slightly less left than maybe they say they are sometimes, uh, I feel like it, it's possibly just because they pe- people have that kind of vision of what, what it is. And then whenever someone comes and maybe says something slightly contradictory to it, it kind of ends up being a wee bit like just just rubbing them ro- the wrong way a wee bit, possibly. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a fair point to state. But do we do we have any concrete reasons why Sinn Féin came out as slightly more... or? I was going to say slightly more right than the SDLP, but I think to say slightly less left than the SDLP is a better is a better way of wording that sentence. Yeah, so they've they've got a decent chunk of a centre right uh, policies, which I I would say it kind of comes under what gets known as uh, I believe it's one nation conservatism, whenever it's kind of put in the way that um, Sinn Fein have been using it, which isn't. Obviously, it's it's only a very small part of the policies which they use kind of come under that idea, but it's it's kind of the idea that you can use kind of slightly right wing ideas to help poor people. Um, things like uh, cutting down some taxes, uh, even I mean I mean with corporation tax, one of the things which they support is actually, I mean we all know what the deal with corporation taxes is. It is slightly a special issue in Northern Ireland. It, it does differ, but they they are in support of a bringing it down, uh, as well as things like a tax relief for farmers, abolishing property tax, um, you know, these kind of things like ideas which do, to a certain degree, help the kind of uh, less well-off and well-effect, the less, less well-off in society at times. So you could argue property tax isn't something which a lot of uh, less well-off people even have the right to, to be taxed under nowadays, but um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's also like Sinn Féin need to make sure they're all right with small and medium-sized businesses. I think as well, they, they kind of need to keep them on side. They don't want to be scaring off any, any you know, business people with too much talk of, you know, a socialist republic necessarily, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And this, I'm trying to look at some of their slightly more centre-right policies, but there's a bit of a contradiction, they say, and I know in their environmental policy, they talk about bringing green electric public transport for all of Ireland, but then they go and yeah. say this, well, we're not putting up the tax for carbon emissions for individuals. So it's... Exactly. It's, it's very much, I don't want to say populism, but they definitely try to make sure that the that their policies more so end up pleasing the average person than, say, industry as a whole. Is Maybe it's a better way of wording that. But I, th- I, I mean, think uh, it's one point... Irish politics has at times been... I'm sorry. Irish no, politics no. at times has been slightly... Uh, it's had the issue of clientelism like you know kind of the idea that you know we'll give you something for you to vote for us do you know what I mean it's not that necessarily yeah. following some ideology yeah. it's the idea that we'll give you this if you you know do a, end up voting for us which maybe Sinn Féin has been slightly affected by and in, in the, the makeup of their manifesto the idea that they'll give yeah. certain concessions yeah. I suppose I think uh, we'll, when we also look at other points I might see them as center like they have some center right points is uh, I'm taking a direct quote from their manifesto. Sinn Féin does not want open borders. We believe that all states must manage migration. 
No, you would be even hard pushed to find very left wing parties that would be completely in agreement with open borders. But for Sinn Fein to say that a party that does very much came out as, you know, the support for, you know, <laughs> in some ways getting rid of borders, uh, it's a bit of a shocking statement from them. And then we're also seeing the likes of commencing the biggest Garda recruitment drive in the history of the state. Now, this is a referral to the Republic, might I add. But again, yeah. increasing police force and decreasing what many may seem as law and order. It's quite, it's quite, uh, it's quite yeah, standard think, and centre-right parties here. Yeah, I think also they have a... Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't want the, this... Maybe take this with a grain of salt. I do think even in the South, there is kind of this idea that, look, the, the EU is something which is completely... It has complete support in terms of Ireland's participation in it, but there is an idea more of like there's an acceptance of the fact that it needs to be reformed. You know, it's not this kind of blind idea that you just support the EU no matter what. Yeah. You know, there is a belief that the EU needs to be reformed. So that even on that issue, there are not like a lot of people on the left who who just kind of go along with the EU no matter what, because it's kind of become a a different political issue in our kind of modern times. Uh, you know, such a divisive issue where you just support it no matter what the actual reality of it is. Even even in that, Sinn Féin kind of can have a wee bit of nuance where they feel like it's more of a thing of, we stay in it, we try to reform it, we try to make it a little bit more democratic in certain areas. Um, But yeah, I'm rambling. And I know we've brought up here, um, we've brought up here quite a few centre-right points for Sinn Féin, but I just want to also say that they do have quite a bit of centre-left and even far-left ideology. And the yeah. point, so I, I think a really good one here is the end of third level education fees. And I, again, this is in regards to the Republic, but I'm sure their whole aim is for United Ireland so this would extend to the North as well. Um, if it, that came to transition. And for those asking, well, why are we using the Republic's manifesto instead of the North's? Sinn Féin, have yeah. a, the, the Republic manifesto gives a lot more detail and a lot more policy areas. And we thought, oh, it's, in it's their really view good. of a whole, yeah. yeah, in their view of a whole Ireland economy and a whole Ireland, United Ireland state, we thought it was more representative of them than say just also, a northern one. Also, point, it's it is completely costed. It is every policy which they suggest has been costed, and they at the very end it actually tells you how much they believe the whole manifesto will cost as a whole. Yeah. Like, to the Irish economy, which I thought was a brilliant addition to a manifesto. I think it should in just terms be, of, I think that should be in every manifesto, yeah. realistically. In terms of policy detail and tree insight, I think it's one of the best manifestos we've read for this whole process. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, also, going back to just that kind of like social, the what, what areas they kind of trend towards socialism, they. They also had a really interesting policy of additional paternity pay and given additional maternity and paternity weeks. They also kind of, they've given into that kind of uh, identity politics of like uh, social issues. They've, they've been very hard, they've been very strong on kind of the ideas of like uh, anti-racism, uh, pro-LGBT rights, uh, transgender rights, you know, all, all those kind of issues. But the thing is, it, it becomes quite obvious that there is, just again, this idea that you've got to tamper it because they're not, it's not like their whole manifesto is this way. These are the exceptions uh, in a lot of ways to their manifesto where for the most part, it's a little bit more moderate. So it feels like they've Definitely. picked their, 
their more extreme policies quite carefully in terms of the social socialism aspect or the far left aspect that they very carefully cherry picked the things which are more acceptable in society to be extreme on. Um, you know, things like additional maternity pay that you're not going to find many. Or, I mean, there's at least 50% of the population that's going to be in favor of that at the end of the day. It's, <laughs> you know, as well as like things like, you know, the university fees, you're going to get a lot of people agreeing with that. Environmentalism's become, environmentalism's become a thing you can be quite easily extreme on in terms of tackling environmentalism without many repercussions to your political image. I think it's very, it's a very well-constructed, but it's also very well-worded manifesto and the idea that even in the points where they try to go more extreme, they're still, it's like, it, it, it's still kind of like testing the waters of the, where it can be extreme, I suppose. Yeah. yeah What's I mean, your take on you, there? You kind of the, the makeup of the manifesto, I suppose. I think it's fair to say that they are, they are a, moderately left party they are comfortably within the left sphere they dabble strongly left-wing politics and i think and they're more extreme measures and they're more extreme measures they have picked them and they are they're almost becoming semi-acceptable across the world i think they take a lot of inspiration from scandinavian countries so i think you know for the for those readers who are at that left-wing persuasion and read that type of media to them this is ticking all the right boxes in the more nitty and gritty areas of policy i think that's when they get a bit more centered um yeah so ones like you know achieving a 60 percent degree led workforce by 2025 as recommended by the eu you know that's that's just following the eu's objectives it's a very centrist policy it's things like that where they become in the nitty gritty very a bit more centered if not center left and then a few center right points in yeah. there as well to balance it but we matt you've brought up the idea that Sinn Féin have some socialist policy in their area would it be fair to say that Sinn Féin are a socialist party no i i, I feel like i can fairly easily say they're not but, i mean we were talking about this we, we literally shared those facebook messages earlier where you asked the question of like did, did they mention did they actually mention socialism in their manifesto at any point? And I was like, uh, from what I could say, they, they never did. But then even but looking at the past like 20 years of their manifestos, I believe it was only like four or five of their manifestos have actually mentioned socialism. And each time, it's only ever mentioned once in each of those manifestos. And each time, it's generally in this idea of 32 county socialist republic. Uh, or we're going to bring like a more socialist analysis of politics to, to the Irish politic political scene. But then whenever you actually look at them, I, I don't see a very strong or very ideological socialist party in them, in my opinion. Which is very surprising, um, I think, because when you look at Sinn Féin and their past, they come off as, they, they, they lean heavily, I think, on the socialist elements. If you look at some of the oh, old murals around Belfast, like some of the old murals around Belfast, for one, I can pick off the top of my head, Sands and Connolly, vote socialist, vote Republican, vote Sinn Féin. You know, it, yeah. towards the socialist republic, the outline policies of Sinn Féin within Dublin, like they were, they were, they definitely do consider themselves in some ways a socialist party, but why is it when it comes to actual policy or even in their latest manifestos over the last 10 years, they seem to have dropped that link, but still the imagery of socialism in some regards is still, it's still there and still lingers. Yeah. So, 
I mean, do we have to just accept the fact that a socialist party wouldn't get elected at the end of the day? <laughs> that the, that they that Sinn Fein now are about winning elections. They they want to win elections, and the general idea which has been parroted. We can question how accurate it is, and we can go on a debate for hours about how accurate the statement is. But the general idea is socialist parties don't get elected uh, in the modern Western democracy, um, especially in a first-past-the-post system. We don't have a first-past-the-post system, though, which I suppose might change matters. Um, but yeah, uh, that's that's the general idea. So maybe they the, even maybe Sinn Fein yeah. and say, right, we can't just be this all guns blazing socialist party. At, at the very least, they can't be that to their own community completely, or to all areas of their community, I suppose. Yeah, um, I think I think yeah. Sinn Féin, they, they go between the line of being the nationalist populism or socialism. And I think in some ways they, they blend that in a lot of ways. And we have to look, when, especially when it comes to the North and their voter makeup, how, many, how much of that makeup is traditional Catholics? Who the very thought of Marxism yeah. as a whole is goes against against the breed. Now I know that's a very old school traditional way of thinking of it of that of, of an electorate, but some of that still rings true. I, I feel today. I, I believe it completely does. I, I think it's quite easy to say that you know, for a certain generation, Marxism isn't acceptable. Uh, and being completely look, uh, I mean, we're both unionists here. Well, small unionists, so we're not going to pretend like we have a complete understanding of. Um, a nationalist electorate, but I, I find it hard to believe that if you went to Deadpool of uh, a nationalist, you know, a, a poll as a nationalist community, would you be, how much would you see of people being like, yeah, I'm fine with Marxism? Um, yeah, sure, I, I'd, sure. I'd, I'd be fine. I, I just couldn't imagine it being over 50% in support of it, I suppose. Yeah, I think when we look at the, a really true socialist party on the island, it's people before profit. And when we look at them in a northern context, one seat, Jerry Carroll, West Belfast. Yeah, you know, it's, and they it's, lost, uh, they lost their, their other seat uh, in the last election, I think it was. Yeah, in, in Derry. Yeah. So it's, you know, maybe Sinn Féin have seen that as, and are seeing socialism as, you know, maybe keep it in the background, not at the forefront, drop some of it, but for our more radical audience, or electorate that still believe in the in the core idea of a thirty-two county socialist republic, you know. Yeah. But th th then I also uh, must ask the question: uh, yeah. Is how much of a nationalist base, when it, when a United Ireland, if it ever does happen, how many of them are still going to be left wing? You know, would some of them be like, "Well, I'm more comfortable now yeah. then with the likes of Fine Gael." You know, just because just because you want a United Ireland, doesn't necessarily mean you're a quasi-socialist? Um, I mean, I guess the North does have this thing separate from the South, where our, where the, the, the imagery of nationalism still is heavily connected to the kind of core of the revolution, I suppose, where yeah. socialism is so deeply tied into that revolution that abandoning it completely, even in imagery and symbolism and uh, mythology even that, that abandoning that socialism isn't necessarily practical but then yeah like you're saying as soon as we or if, if it ever happens that a united ireland occurs 
there might just be a mass exodus. That that methodology might completely just change because the goal has been won, so it's not needed anymore. Yeah, I think that brings up a lot of questions about how much of the Sinn Féin base agrees with on all their policies or only stick around due to the United Ireland approach. And since that the other major nationalist party, the SDLP, is also left-wing, if you are a nationalist in the North with right-wing economic tendencies or right-wing views on, you know, the social elements of the state, where do you go? Do you just stick around with Sinn Féin because simply, well, it's it's nationalism at the end of the day. But what, after that happens, surely there's going to be a re-evaluation there and who you vote for. Yeah. I mean, surely once the United Ireland does happen, if it does happen, I mean, does Fianna Gael and Fianna Foyle, they must start surely running candidates in the North and then what happens in that scenario, I suppose, for Sinn Féin? Because then you have a whole... I mean, the whole electoral system in Ireland, if there was a United Ireland, gets massively ripped up as soon as we, as soon as the North enters, because you know you don't know what's going to happen with the unions community. And like, I mean, we're we're slightly strained for the idea of what Sinn Féin um, believe. I suppose, but it's an interesting conversation on the last to have about where Sinn Féin go. I suppose in terms of their so- southern elect election approach. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure. I feel like I lost my point. That's somewhere down the line. <laughs> I feel like that's a whole podcast in itself. Is what happens, yeah. you know, in United Ireland to the parties up here. I think that's a that's a really interesting yeah. conversation for another day. Well, we'll we'll keep focusing on Sinn Fein here. Um, I think I think we brushed upon Sinn Fein's history there, and um, obviously we haven't stated it just yet, because I think it's so obvious. But we'll steal it anyway. Sinn Fein, the political wing of the IRA. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of people in the North who they hear Sinn Féin and they just think IRA straight away and discredit them. Uh, and, you know, they, they don't, they've done a lot of work for, obviously, the prisoners in the North and obviously helped the movement for the IRA in a lot of regards. But in fairness, when it came to power sharing and the Good Friday Agreement, they were a key part of that. And, you know, the likes of Martin McGuinness and Jerry Adams, you know, helped almost legitimise the relationship between Sinn Féin and the British government to help bring peace to the North. So credit where credit's due in that regard. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from that point as a pacifist, not a unionist there. Uh, so I, th- I think it's interesting. Now, you know, Sinn Féin obviously overtaking the SDLP around the same time the DUP overtook the UUP in elections. Um, you know, they've been, they've been the major party installment for just under 20 years now. They, they, they came a long way from being dissidents and on the fringes of nationalism to now being the centrefold player in the North and the the running installment. It's, it's quite a rise, would you say? Uh, I mean, it does really have that kind of similar, obviously, I'm sure any Sinn Féin supporter wouldn't want me to say this, but the symmetries to the DUP are pretty obvious in terms of their rise. They're kind of populist <laughs> angle. I mean, they both share that that kind of same history. They, they have that idea. Of they both took advantage of some kind of populist feeling in the North um, in both communities, I think. And the result was obvious. The, the, the feelings were there and the, 
the need for, I suppose, Sinn Féin was there. I'm sure some people will disagree with the idea that there was a need for Sinn Féin. <laughs> but if they, if they weren't needed, they wouldn't have gotten <laughs> so, so heavily elected at the end of the day. Uh, so I think, I think it would be a little bit uh, reductive or revisionist to say that they, you know, we can't treat them like an established power. They still are relatively young in terms of being in leadership 20 years. So the, the need for them within the nationalist community, I suppose, is still quite strong. But I feel like they are definitely moving away. But the idea now is that they are a political party. You know, that they're no longer, they've kind of lost that kind of idea of like a, you know, uh, a split the group of the being IRA this kind of under, their own thing. Yeah, they're they're a political party that with their own ideas, with their own agendas, with the developing their own history as a political party now. Um, uh, yeah, I think they that's maybe also why we're seeing this kind of wavering possibly in an ideology that now they are this political party. They have to deal with the issues of a political political party. You know, they have to deal with you know how do we keep winning elections? How do we keep being uh, favorable in certain parts of our electorate, whereas before I'm sure that wasn't necessarily something they had to worry about quite as much. Whenever they were, yeah, it was you know, that so, kind of force of a movement. Yeah, back whenever then. you're a movement, you don't have to worry about certain things that a political party has to worry about at the end of the day. Yeah, that's, um, that's an interesting you know, I think that's I think that really encapsulates their new identity as such as they're now an established power still relatively young but that transition from a movement to a political party I think you really nailed it on the head there and how they're dealing with that um, and I think when we look at the leadership now of Michelle O'Neill obviously a lucid talk poll just came out there recently and placed her as the in the public's eye the worst of the northern leaders yeah. do you think that accurately reflects Michelle O'Neill's uh, leadership of Sinn Féin and I obviously that includes three years of deadlock of instalment do you think she's yeah, adequately yeah. managed Sinn Féin instalment and man adequately managed Sinn Féin in this new decade approach yeah I mean I think we have to just like take into account the circumstances she was placed in I think so she yeah like you're saying she's had three years where the party hasn't even been in been able to do anything realistically uh obviously there was a lot of rhetoric talk even during those three years and there was a lot of political points to be scored during that time but at the end of the day it was a time without parliament where no voting could take place so yeah <laughs> judging her on that isn't probably holistically fair but then at the same time she's had to deal with coronavirus she hasn't dealt with it well by any means not many leaders have during this time um but yeah we know about this the scandal that, that happened and whether it's harmed her or whether it's harmed arlene foster more we can debate upon at another time but um she she's definitely had that but then even before all of this on her coming into the party as leader she had the whole issue of the fact that she is having to replace probably one of the most iconic leaders in Northern Irish politics ever, you know, maybe top two or top three, you know, in terms of iconic leadership, you know, she, she's had to come in and replace that. And it's not an easy job to come in and replace someone like Martin McGuinness. And then, even you know, I Jerry Adams leaves the party as well. Yeah. I look at Martin McGuinness as a unionist and I'm like, oh, flip, you know, in the last 20 years, he was pretty dead on, <laughs> I have to say, like, Oh yeah, like he was, he was a brilliant politician at the end of the day. Like, he, you know, there's no doubt about it. 
So I think I'm going to come in and replace that. I mean, I'm going to replace a politician who's actually liked, especially a leader who's actually liked. Uh, I mean, that's that's an impossible job, isn't it? Like, very very few political leaders have to come in for someone who was actually liked whenever they left office. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not not a, a common occurrence in in modern politics where the leader leaves and everyone's actually like, "Wow, I don't know what's going to happen after this." Um, yeah. But then at the same time, yeah, yeah. I mean, is she a buffer? Is she the person who, like, d- does Sinn Féin have to get over uh, Michelle O'Neill, you know, to really find the next leader of the party? Or does she just need to grow into it? I think that's the, those are the two questions that are, that are in place right now. Does she, are we just witnessing, like, growing pains? Is she just having to deal with leadership in a very difficult time to be a leader? Or is it that she, just as someone who, will be here for a wee bit, will then leave, and then maybe they can get someone else who doesn't have to deal with that massive burden of replacing one of the best leaders in Northern Irish politics, having to come in post, post a, or during a three-year lock, lockdown in government, and then have to deal with a literal lockdown in a pandemic. Like, it's, yeah, I don't know. What's your take on her? Do How think- do you feel about Michelle O'Neill's position? Well, I was going to more so ask you, do you think her leadership is challenged? Do you think there's, in the top ranks of Sinn Féin, are there people going, maybe we need to have a change here? Uh, uh, I mean, it's hard to tell in terms of just the way political parties work. You know, coups happen very quickly. And, you know, they're oftentimes very, uh, you know, they, they can happen and then, Whenever they are happening, they just don't happen. If you know, if you see my meaning, they, you know, someone yeah. can be losing power and then somehow just regains it. Um, so I mean, it's hard to say. I think there are people in Sinn Fein who could replace her. You know, there's quite memorable names in Sinn Fein. So it's not like they've lost all their, you know, name brand uh, uh, politicians. You know, people like Jerry Cow- Kelly and you know all these guys. They're known names, and if they were leaders, it's not like people would be like, "Who is this guy?" You know? Yeah, I think even like the more so, the more sensible option there would be like the likes of Connor Murphy. He's the current well, minister of finance. Yeah, I know. I think I think he's yeah, carrying out I, his I role as a minister place. extremely well. Um, yeah, know, because that's that what Michelle of... O'Neill was meant to be doing originally, isn't it? Michelle O'Neill was meant to be the new yes. face of national politics, but it, it just hasn't seemed to really. I mean, she doesn't feel very new. Realistically, it doesn't feel like a new politics that she's bringing no. necessarily so yeah okay do you think maybe connor think we'll, that or not do you think he he is actually a different brand of politics i don't know if he's a different brand but i think he represents stability you know especially when you take on a, a ministerial position such as finance i think you're you quickly learn the rope ropes of how serious top level politics is done and i think he would yeah he would bring a, an air of stability in after so many years of instability, especially within the executive. Uh, obviously, with you yeah, know, sorry. I know it's more of a, I know it's more of a DUP problem, but RHI and the lockdown or not lockdown the, the shutdown of starting for three years and now have COVID. Yeah, I don't. No, I know. I know we've singled out Connor Murphy. There's there's probably somebody else that we were completely forgetting, or would is more likely to I'm be in line it. for the leaders to be in line for the leadership. But in terms of that more serious. Um, stable, you know, le- like less media criticism over the last few years. 
somebody like that, I think, would be the prime yeah. position to take the Sinn Féin leadership in the North. Obviously. So then, do you agree then that Michelle looks like she's maybe out, out or do you think that she it, it's like a, in the balance? I think it's almost like Arlene Foster in a way. There's there's murmurings of a change happening. Yeah. Uh, I know Sinn Féin has stuck behind uh, Michelle lately, especially over the Bobby Story funeral and her involvement there. But I wouldn't be surprised over the next, at least in the next year or two, maybe, well, I don't know actually in the next year or two because we have the election coming up in about 18 months' time. So maybe she'll probably, she'll probably ride out that one. But maybe a few years into that uh, mandate, there might be a change. To freshen things up. Yeah. Okay, I think we'll 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 leave it uh, there. Yeah. Um, I hope I hope you enjoyed it. Um, for for those for our listeners who be even more nastiest mind, please comment and get in touch if we've missed anything out. And uh, we, we we researched a lot for this episode, but I think we must also state our own our own personal pro not problem but issue. Of, you know, what we we don't normally always run in nastiest circles, me and Matt. And we acknowledge that. So we're, we're trying to better understand it from a neutral perspective, that is, when we're doing this site and really keep our own biases by the side. At the end of the day, while we, everybody has their nationalism or unionism or other, this website is for everybody. It's for everybody to come and discuss, you know, politics on the left and right up here in the north. Uh, and I think we've, we've analyzed that pretty well here with Sinn Féin, maybe more on the national question and the politics around that, we might have missed a few points. So I'd just like to say, sorry for that, but we're, we're doing our best. And we don't get paid for this. So take it or leave it, really. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. I just want to say... Anyone can get it. That's week. what it is. Anyone can get it. <laughs> the message. Um, the message for this week. Yeah, so next week, I, I don't know what party we're, we're, we're going to do next month. What do you say? I'll let you decide right now, and we'll start the work on it tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously alliance because then if we do, we've done Aye. the unionist party. We've done So now we got to do like the other party. Yeah, I guess. You heard the alliance first. chat. We're doing, a we're doing alliance next week. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week, though. Bye. <laughs>